Hey, Feminist Frequency listeners, we would love you to join our podcast community on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash femfreak. Um, My favorite episode was the episode about the mother. Did you two see that one? Yeah, I hated it. Oh, all right. Okay. That's interesting. Tell me why you loved it. Will you tell me why you hated it? No way. I want you to do it first so that I could tell you why you're wrong. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is episode 74, and I am your host, Anita Sarkeesian. I am back, but unfortunately, Ebony is not because she's too busy losing all her money in Vegas this week. So I am joined by our dear, sweet Carolyn Pettit, as always. You know, you can you can always count on me. I'm always... It's true. You don't go anywhere, Carolyn. Nope. nope. <laughs> and we have a very special guest, her great return... On Feminist Frequency Radio. You're like, you're a regular now. I'm a regular. We have our favorite Iranian-American Muslim comedian, Zara Norbash. You nailed it. Yes! Last time you were on, I was worried I was going to say it wrong. I mean, it technically is wrong. Norbash. Well... That was the problem. No, it's always, like, there's no version that's going to be right. Right, that's true. We don't need a Hassan Minhaj and Ellen DeGeneres this. All oh, versions was, are wrong. That was quite good, though. I enjoyed that. <laughs> I uh, hated my it. last name is... I hated it. We Americanize all of our... All of our names. Yeah. Like, in my last name is actually Sarkisian. Sarkisian. But I'm oh. not going to make people say that. Well, okay. And also, my name, if you're going to say it the real way, is Zahra Nurbash. Yeah, I can't do that. Nobody can. <laughs> but it's lovely. But if you're raised speaking Persian, yeah, then go for it. I feel like uh, this is a really great intro to the topic of this week's episode, mm-hmm. which uh, is... Wow, I had no transition because we usually ex- explain the where the feminist killjoys, but we're gonna just skip that this week because this week we're gonna be talking about Rami, a new Hulu comedy about a twenty-something Egyptian American Muslim living in New Jersey and trying to sort out what and who he really is. Well, I guess he's not trying to sort out what he is; he's probably sure of what that is. Um, but the world is sending him confusing and often contradictory messages about what it means to be a young Muslim in America today. After that, we're each going to share a little something in What's Your Freak Out? Let's get to it. Um, we're so glad to have you back. I'm so excited to be back. Isn't it delightful? And I'm in L.A. with you now. We now both live here. What? Isn't that exciting? Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to Carolyn, have like bay transplants. Why don't you live here? Because <laughs> you hate it. <laughs> You're like, fuck L.A. No, I mean, I, I, I so as, as some listeners may know, I, I lived in the greater Los Angeles area for a, a, a large chunk of my life. Um, yeah, but you didn't live anywhere cool. No, that's the thing, right? Like, if I were to move back to L.A. and live somewhere cool, it would be a very different experience from, you know, my my L.A. experience before. So I'm, you know, I'm in incre- <laughs> when I left L.A., I was pretty down on it because for a number of reasons. And I was very excited to be moving to the Bay Area. But, you know, now with the passage of time and my perspective has been broadened, I mean, I could definitely see myself moving back to L.A. at some point, provided I were not living in, you know, uh, Van Nuys or Reseda. Hey, my friend has an amazing house in Van Nuys. No offense to people who live in those places, but I've paid I've lived there for quite a while. But if I lived in you know, some someplace that had a little more going on. Well, then we'll make that happen. Fantastic. Great. We just need to probably rob some banks or something. Oh, yeah. Let's get on just, that. Just, I need to just whip up another one of your con artist schemes that pull in <laughs> like hundreds of thousands of dollars online and we'll be that good a, to go. 
That was a good one, Carol. Thank you. Good one. You're you're funny. Yeah. You should be a comedian. Maybe Zara will mentor you. <laughs> oh yeah, write as soon as I'm done quitting. <laughs> oh. oh, all right, Carol. You want to give us a little <laughs> bit of um, yeah. entertainment news? I'd love to, Anita. Thanks for asking. All right. So this past week, the Time 100. Um, a list that... Hey, what's that? What's the Time 100? I don't know anything about that. <laughs> a list that never really means anything or ever has anyone interesting or worthwhile on it. Um, no, I, that's a joke because Anita was on the Time 100. That's, to- that's a joke. That's a joke. But this, you know, there's a number of, as always, a number of people on there that, that you're like, eh, I don't like you. And um, anyway... Uh, this year, uh, one of the people uh, on the list is Ninja, um, the Fortnite, um, you know, the the the, the massive uh, celebrity Fortnite player. And, you know, this actually coincides with something interesting that just happened on Ninja's stream. So in a in a recent match, um, after a fierce battle with another player who may have been cheating um, you know, so maybe it's understandable that Ninja was a little, a little worked up, a little, uh, you know, uh, on edge, but that doesn't, in my mind, excuse what, what happened. Um, upon defeating this player, Ninja said on stream that that player should, um, and, you know, excuse my, my language, but he said that nin- that, that opponent, uh, should suck a dick. Literally the fattest one you can find. And he then, like, mimicked doing mimicked the act and said i want you to literally just shove the whole thing in your mouth and um this display uh well yes like fans people viewers at least many of them were absolutely kind of jubilant at this display of homophobia from ninja um uh you know on on a reddit uh, subreddit called livestream fails um the the moment was called uh, a a quote redemption arc for ninja because ninja you know used to swear on stream and then as he got increasingly mainstream and and also got married and i think pre- presents himself as uh somewhat religious right hence the whole like i don't uh stream with women thing which is ridiculous um yeah side note also this giant huge wealthy streamer does not stream with women you know, just side note. Yeah. So, you know, uh, people online said things like, that's the ninja I know, remember, and love. Basically, like, people, ninja fans, ninja viewers were, like, totally thrilled that he had said this, you know, this homophobic uh, thing that was pretty pretty terrible. Um, in So uh, the, the Time 100 profile blurb, that was written for Ninja was written by uh, Juju Smith Schuster, a wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And in that profile, uh, he said, um, uh, I've been a huge video game fanatic my whole life, but people have seen it as childish and a waste of time. Ninja was huge in building up the credibility of esports. At the end of the day, Ninja is an absolute legend and someone to whom we owe a lot for making gaming what it is today. And I mean, it is true in a sense that, I mean, Ninja's been on, like, Ellen and stuff. Ninja, as a as a figure associated very much with gaming, has had more kind of, I guess, mainstream uh, awareness built up around him than any other, at least in the U.S. and, you know, um, any other, like, figure, individual who's famous for playing video games. And, you know, but 
he doesn't necessarily represent like the best of what it means to be a quote unquote gamer, though he may represent the truth or the, the you know, of what it means. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, moving on, uh, the E.L. James, the writer of the wonderful Fifty Shades of Grey series, uh, has uh, released her new book, and it is called The Mister. And, oh, boy. Yeah. And uh, so this is me uh, quoting from uh, Alani Vargas' story in the AV Club, a little summary of um, the story. Um, it centers around Maxim Trevelyan a grown-up rich kid who's also the titular mister. He sleeps around, doesn't worry about his plentiful money, and seems to have it really going well for him. Soon he inherits a noble title and gets a new daily, um, a.k.a. a house cleaner, named Alessia Demachi, and I may be pronouncing that wrong, a sex-trafficking survivor who speaks broken English. What better way to take advantage of the already out-of-balance power structure than to involve the two in a sordid romance? E.L. James, your groundbreaking ideas really take the cake. Um, uh, yeah, um, Dana Schwartz, uh, reviewing the book in Entertainment Weekly, gave it an F, uh, the first F she's ever given to a book. She writes that um, Alessia's Albanian roots are basically a way to make her a meek, naive Eastern European woman who is in desperate need of a man to help her through. Uh, so beyond being poorly written, it's lazy and treats the PTSD that comes with sex abuse in a horrific manner. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, a lot of problematic elements, it sounds like, in the latest uh, E.L. James book. So, um, anyway, you know, maybe don't run out and pick up that one from your local bookstore or library. <laughs> Um, all right, Carol, where's our good news for the week? <laughs> all right. Well, actually, I need you know, I had to I have to say I had to make room for this final story. And so oh, I, whether boy. or not it's good news, like I, I can't be the judge of that. Actually, for for this final story, we have to go to you to get your feelings on this. Anita, Jason Momoa has shaved his oh. beard. How are you coping what? with this? <laughs> you didn't see? You didn't hear? No. Google yeah, it right Jason now. Momoa. Jason Momoa shaved his beard. So I was going to ask how you're coping with this, but given how you didn't even know that it had happened, Look, I guess you you haven't really been coping with this, but now you'll have to start coping with this. So anyway, yes, Jason Momoa. Oh, wow. Oh, that's yeah. weird. He shaved yeah. his beard. All right, here, but we've talked, we talked about this. Wait, no, we didn't. We didn't watch Aquaman. I did, though. You watched right. Aquaman. I'm yes. remembering now. Um, he's just such a douchebag. Yeah, it's he really hard is. to find him hot anymore because he's such a douchebag. Yeah. I mean, like he's still objectively an attractive human, but I can't. I'm just not excited about it anymore. I hear you. I yep. mean, his face is still beautiful with a shaved beard, or not? Just saying, but also not because he's a douchebag. Did I say that enough times? <laughs> I think we. I think we're starting to get the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, great. Thanks for that. I feel like you failed in your duties this week to give us any positive news. Okay. Well. <laughs> uh, we can talk about how Spock shaved his beard on Star Trek Discovery, but that uh, might not be the right podcast for this. Hey, listeners, we love that you're tuning into our show where we deliver intersectional feminist analysis of pop culture every single week. You can help us keep bringing this sharp, honest, and sometimes funny analysis to you by joining our podcast community on Patreon. In exchange for your dollars, we've got some perks like early access, weekly bonus episodes, AMAs, and an amazing community that hangs out on our private Discord server. So please consider joining us at patreon.com slash femfreak. 
Uh, all right, let's get into the main topic for this week. The new show Rami stars actor, comedian, and practicing Muslim Rami Youssef in a semi-autobiographical series about navigating contemporary life as someone who, as his character puts it, is just trying to be good. As Youssef said in an interview, the character of Rami is pulled between his family and his friends who all have their code as to how they live. Across the show's 10 episodes, Rami finds himself in all kinds of situations involving sex, drugs, and other sources of temptation and pleasure that are both amusing and fascinating in how they require Rami to consider what being a Muslim means to him. Um, so this was a show I asked you to be on because you're Muslim. <laughs> Full disclosure. Let's be honest. I was, I was like, time. I got no good transition. I would never have you on to talk about anything other than being Muslim, Zara. Red. Yeah. Anita's like, as a Middle Easterner, I got most things, but when it comes to the Muslim brain. <laughs> Well, that was actually... Gotta get Zara in here. This was an interesting... <laughs> this was, I, like, I am super curious to hear your thoughts about it, both being, mm, like, a mm, Muslim mm, comedian and that this is a show unlike any other show talking about being Muslim. Like, there's a lot of stuff in here that I, like, relate to and identify oh. as coming from Middle Eastern culture, but the religious stuff is... Oh, just, I'm, I'm so curious sort of to hear about it. those specific aspects. Yeah, it's like it's much more of the cultural aspects of it. But yeah, like so I I really enjoyed the show. Do you speak the Arab? No. I Were don't. you able to like read it and understand? I mean, I can read English. Were there like inside jokes that you were like, "Oh, from my people?" No. <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, there was definitely um for me some of the cultural aspects of it were like the way that um I think they tra- I think that the like a lot of Arab culture comes out of Muslim culture there th- although not all Arabs are Muslim obviously and so the stuff around gendered like why mm. the daughter is is treated with such a heavy hand right. and the the son gets to get away with a lot more mm-hmm. or like the way that um you know the like the super racist uncle <laughs> and like there's just a lot of aspects of you know like the mom being this sort of sad housewife and like sitting around playing Candy Crush. Like they're mm-hmm. just all of these things that were a little real. When mm. she was playing at the table, I, I totally immediately thought of your mom, how you say that your mom plays Candy Crush all the time. Oh my like, God, I don't know if she like plays him. it at the dinner table, but still, that was like the first thing that popped in my mind is, oh, wow, Anita's mom also plays <laughs> so Candy both Crush our moms. a lot. Both our moms. Candy yeah. Crush. Yeah. Is this like a Middle Eastern woman thing or just like a I think it's woman a middle-aged thing? I mean, not middle. middle I think it's a... yeah a older woman thing. I think that's their demographic. I'm thinking it's a, like, real stressed out woman thing. Because, like, I have a couple professor friends, and, like, I've come to the conclusion that if you're a professor at a university, you are of the most stressed out people. Probably among them. Like, I think it's, like, up there with, like, nurses. Like, in terms of, like, stressful jobs. Like, high-stress jobs. Yeah. Yeah, but they are all tenured and shit. They don't need no. to worry about getting fired. No, because, like, now there's also, like, um, call-out culture within the classroom. That's, oh, right? Shit. That's also coming <laughs> from young men's rights activists that are in your classroom that are participating in call-out culture. Like, my friend described her day, and I needed therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not just a day out. Like, I needed therapy, like, from hearing about her day. It was so um, much. There was so we can get we can get into the details. I'd love your general thoughts, but like the the nine eleven episode, there was um, an experience that really re- like really resonated with my experience in that time and my family and how we reacted to that as well. Tell me, 
Um, okay, so there, so in the show, there's an episode where it's just about Rami when he was 12. And so there's some, there's some like cute online message board, like ASL stuff, like age, sex, location, um, a throwback to that time. So 9-11 happens and obviously Muslims are targeted and his friends are like, you're a terrorist now. Mm-hmm. The, so again, not trying to put myself into this category, but I do remember a that- terrorist. Yes. Uh, I don't want to put myself in the category <laughs> of a terrorist, although some people do think of me that way. How about you, Caro? Are you in that category? Um, Carol's too white. <laughs> I've never really had to think about that before. Um, so when he puts the American flag up, mm-hmm. I was like, what oh. my mom did when I got home from work was she put um, American flag stickers on all of our cars. Wow. And I lost my shit. I got so mad at my mom. I screamed at her. Mm. She went out there and scraped all of the stickers off. And in retrospect, I realized that I was being such a horrible child because she was scared. We were like the, you know, we were a little bit different. We were the Middle Eastern people on this block. Mm. um, And she was worried that we would be targeted Mm. for that. But she never said those words to me. I see. Um, Even today, she's never, we've never really talked about it. But it was definitely that moment where people who can be identified as brownish, right? Right. Feel felt that tension of we need to not be targeted or mm-hmm. whatever, right? How mm-hmm. do we get caught up in that? So kind of so different, um, but also as soon as he put that flag up, I was like, "Yep, I understand that feeling." Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, I I just had such a different nine eleven experience. It was it was really interesting to also see kind of the um, demographic who was a kid at that time, you know, cause I was in college. Yeah. I had, I was one year out of high school. So that like, uh, to see him as a 12 year old kid, you know, um, and how that impacted him. And like, there are a lot of stories I've heard about people in elementary school, um, where all the kids looked at them in that moment. And I, I had a little bit of a different experience because I was in college classes where we were debating, you know, topics on like colonialism and uh, policy. And, you know, I was always holding the brown torch. Like I just always was the stand-in. I mean, in Danville, California, (laughs) (laughs) that that whole like uh, East Bay swath of white, like I was the stand-in brown. Like, are we talking about Native Americans? I'll be the stand-in brown. Are we talking about colonialism in India? I'll be the stand-in brown. Are we talking about, you know. Yeah, that's uh, so fucked up. When 9-11 happened, then I was, again, the stand-in brown, but, like, the tenor, the tone was so different, and it was jarring because, like, a day ago, everyone was, like, we were having this healthy discourse, and then all of a sudden, it was, like, there is no room for any complex narrative. It needs to be, you are on our team, period, done. So, there was that. Also... Uh, for me at that time, like we weren't thinking about our family having to put flags up or anything like that. We had a lot of community support. My brother had cancer at that time, and it was because of the actions of a really racist doctor who kept getting in the way of his care, saying, uh, I know your people. You treat your sons like princes. He just has growing pains. I'm not signing off on an MRI. And we were in the middle of a multimillion dollar lawsuit against him. And when 9-11 happened, the lawyer dropped the case. No lawyer would pick it up. And finally, one lawyer said, listen, 9-11 just happened. There's no judge or jury in the world right now who's going to see you with that thing around your head. 
and side with you against an American doctor. And so that shitbag is still practicing. And that's, so I come from a very different, like 9-11 kind of experience. What did you think of the episode or the show in general? I think along those lines, like, um, it was so far from a lot of my own personal experiences that I'm like, I don't think this show is for me. And I'm totally cool with that. Like, I'm totally cool with that. I was some of the things that I like that he's doing is saying, you know, that it's specific to his experience. I like that he's not trying to capture every Muslim experience. Um, you know, times where I don't dig it is when we're not hearing like what sect he is um, or the specificity of his um, cultural background. Do you think that was intentional? Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's a fair question, but I like that didn't occur to me until you just said it. And it's like, oh, yeah, of course, just in the way there's so many different types of Christianity. Why was that never addressed? I mean, I'm going to say on behalf of all Shia and other sect Muslims, sometimes y'all Sunni Muslims like to just say, I'm just Muslim and erase everything. And and I like there are ways that like in the in the Muslim, Muslim Twitter land. I'm actually not. I don't even know if I'm on Muslim Twitter. But <laughs> <laughs> I still don't understand Twitter. I still don't know why we use it. But <laughs> like, there are a lot of folks I think who don't know that they participate in that. And so, in that regard, I don't know that necessarily the show does. You know, um, I think a lot of people engage with the show without that consideration. And I think when you come from a vastly different cultural experience and a very different kind of cultural practice. Um, and religious practice, then it's real. It stands out a lot. Um, also, just in terms of like the age range, like I did, like I said, I didn't grow up during that time. Um, so there are some of those aspects that I just I don't connect with, and I'm like, I don't think it's for me in that regard, and I'm totally cool with that. Yeah, I like that. I I think it lends itself to more narratives, you know, to then to for me to then say I want to see that out there. Hey, Carol. Yo, hey. As as a resident white person. Yeah. <laughs> did you what did you think so i really i one thing i especially liked about the show was what i saw as it's kind of um it's honesty about like psychological complexity and and i guess for me the the 9-11 episode is is you know maybe one of the, the stronger examples of this um what i mean is is how you know for young rami this 12 year old kid um like all these things, these like separate, different threads happening in his life kind of collide and become intertwined and messy in this. So so you have at the same time going on, like obviously 9-11 has just happened and there's all the stuff about him being, um, you know, like seen as potentially a terrorist, having his friends suddenly look at him differently. But that's all mixed in with him, like the expectations on him as a young, you know, as a boy who's just starting to like um, be like get turned on and have like sexual feelings and desires. It's all tied in with other expectations for him as a young boy about like jacking off, masturbating. And and also you have like in his classroom, you have this girl, Angela, who at first is just like this girl that you know, 
he he like tries to be friendly with, but also in some way he finds like as as all these like hormones and feelings are like exploding inside of him, he he finds like maybe you know alluring sexually in in some kind of abstract you know way, not like maybe in, in a super explicit way. But then she suddenly becomes somebody who like Angela, my classmate, whose mom died in nine eleven. Like I, I just um I just thought that the way the show did that and i think it did that over and over again um you know there's another episode where <laughs> it's ramadan and rami is like sort of decides like he's not you know he's not going to watch porn he's not going to have sex etc but you know and he's kind of doing that as part of trying to figure out like who, he feels like maybe this ramadan could be really good for him like he needs that kind of anchor but then he has this encounter with this woman and he you know, he ends up having sex with her. And then like right after he has sex with her, he looks at his phone and this like distant friend's mom just died of cancer. And it's, I just feel like, well, you know, this is, it's more lifelike to me in the way that like, you know, all the time throughout our lives, like all these different things that, that matter more or less to us, but that still affect us emotionally and intellectually in some way like they're constantly kind of colliding i I just appreciated that the show did that because i feel like i I don't know i feel like a lot of comedies try to maybe take a little more simplistic approach or just try to like have the narrative focus on like the one thing and so i was pleasantly surprised by the way that this show i felt had had that that deeper complexity to it in a lot of ways that's really nice to hear like, I never thought I would relate to uh, the Persian woman who scowl at me when I do a comedy show so much mm. in the sense that, like, um, I in hearing you talk about it, Kara, I like feel all of this like weight listening for how people outside of the American Islamic experience are relating to it and what they're taking away from it. And the stakes I could feel in my blood pressure are like so high. Yeah. And so like to like I feel so much relief, for example, hearing you talk about all the complexities that you walked away with because I was so afraid of simplistic takeaways. Yeah. I mean, another thing, another moment for me that stuck out, and this is purely just like um on a one to more of like a one-to-one level of, oh, I can relate to this in my own way, which I, I say, I want to be very clear. I'm not trying to like say, you know, do that thing of, oh, it's not about Muslims. It's universal. Like, no, it's absolutely about like a specific Muslim experience. But nonetheless, there was this one thing that in my own different way I I, I re- related with is like, um, so Rami is at this party and there's this girl, Sarah, I think her name is, that he's been hitting it off with and he really likes. And then like she does E and he's kind of like, but she just goes ahead and does it. And she kind of expects, like she does it kind of expecting that, of course, he's just going to, why, why wouldn't he also do it? And they can have this experience together. But then he's like, well, no, I mean, I'm, I can't, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not up for that. And I just, I feel like, I guess like that moment resonated with me in the sense that, you know, when I'm in like social situations and maybe I'm trying to like meet people um, just because, you know, I have like hangups about, or I don't want to say hangups, but I have insecurities about my body. And I, you know, I, I, I just have a lot of things that I feel like I 
there are all these expectations in those areas of like, oh, people are de- just down for this. They're down to do this. Like, this is, you'll do this. Like, it's fine. And I hit a wall in a lot of those situations of like, no, 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 I like, let's slow down. Like, I, I don't, I'm not ready for that yet. I need time. I need trust. And I just, I appreciated that, um, like, and it can make you feel like super like an outsider or like somebody who's never going to fit in or never going to make the kind of connections that you're looking for. So in that moment of Rami, you know, like kind of sticking to his principles and not doing it, but also obviously feeling kind of like left out and conflicted about it and everything like I, um, you know, I, I related to that um, in my own in my own way quite a bit. I, I actually think that the point you're making earlier, um, you, you you qualified a lot being like, I'm not trying to erase the Muslim experience from this. I think the reasons that shows like we are seeing now, I'd put this in the same orbit as shrill and master of none and insecure, where it is these very specific identity categories. And you're learning your we are in we are invited into that perspective and right. that life experience, but that there are these broader messages that we relate to as we're watching it. Yes, so, but- for example, like Rami trying to ident- like figure out his identity as a young 20-something-year-old um, is no different than almost every other young 20-year-old, except it's through his particular lens, which is conflicting through cultural intersections and religious intersections, right? Absolutely. I, I will say, though, that like there is something the show does that I'm not a fan of, um, that is different than what I see in Master of None. And it could be wrong. I have to like go back and check, which I have no interest in doing. But <laughs> here's my factual opinion. Uh, <laughs> like in Master of None, I recall like some of my experiences around that being that when there were educational moments, that they kind of let it just be an educational moment. And it was it was coming from the characters as like, did you know blank, blank, blank? And then we would hear multiple different characters and multiple different generations commenting on that. Where in the show Rami, what I see instead is him explaining faith practices on behalf of all Muslims as a Muslim thing that we do. And then the Muslimish ways that his parents and him engage with that. So then it's like, here's the objective standard practice. We're supposed to fast, right? And then his dad is like, be quiet. I'm watching television. I'm going to miss blah, blah, blah. So it doesn't really give room for it to be, you know, for there to be this separate conversation about the pressure to educate. And then his uh, sort of trying to learn about faith himself as being different. And because those two are flattened, then all of our educating about what is standard Muslim is then via him, which right. is unfortunate and I don't love about it um, and is what it is accomplishing. So in that way, then his show is serving as an educational tool, which is in contradiction to his aim, which is to just have agency around his own personal experience. Like I'd prefer him say, you know, uh, like I kind of want to fast. Like what do we do for fasting? You know, and then have him go on that quest as opposed to vernacular that says things like, you know, don't Muslims do this? Mm. Don't mm-hmm. Muslims do that? Um, I don't love that. Hmm. I I feel like, too, the, the flip side of what I was saying earlier is that we like this is the this is the most humanizing show I've seen about being Muslim. Mm-hmm. Right. And like. 
there's one. Not that there aren't sure, representations yeah. that are better, but it's one, which is a young dude mm. um, and his dude friends. Mm. And very dude this, friends. Like, very dude friends, which I have problems with. Um, but all of the, like, all of these shows have your, like, asshole sidekick friend, which I think, and when it, when it's usually, when it's men, it's often really, like, sexist. And I had some issues with the way that they played off of each other, even though, like, some of it was still funny. It was also kind of cringy because you're like, this yeah. guy is such a fucking douchebag. Um, I'm saying that word a lot. I should stop. Anyways. <laughs> um, so, but, but part of the problem is, like, we put so much pressure on these these shows that are do that like when there should be 20 shows that are doing this right that show v varieties of ways different ways that people present and exist as muslim and like i think um you know like the very first episode he he's hooking up with someone and she's like oh i thought you were like culturally muslim like i'm culturally jewish and like that you know, like, I could see that show existing as well of, like, what it means to be culturally Muslim and not religiously Muslim and all and all these different things, but those don't exist. So, like, this show is now holding the mantle and, like, yeah, you you and the millions of other Muslims in the world are probably like, yeah, it's not really my experience. I mean, yes and no. Like, um, some of the reason for that is because of the conservative Muslim hold on what is and isn't Muslim. Like, this is a problem that religious people have that religious people need to have a conversation around and deal with. If if we're going to be in a situation where we're going to say, objectively, religiously, this is what's right, then we will always have challenges with representation. Folks within the Muslim community, within the Muslim world, within planet Islam, need to be able to refer to each other as interreligious and interfaith. So they have to be willing to do that. So that's tough. On top of that, they have to be willing to let women take the lead. That's tough. So then instead, what you're going to get is this Muslimish guy, a young man, and who gets all the allowances to be ambivalently Muslim and be ambivalently sexual? Young men. Yeah. This show would not happen like this if it starred a woman. I'm saying there's a reason. Yeah. Um, my favorite episode was the episode about the mother. Did you two see that one? Yeah, I hated it. Oh, all right. Well, okay. okay. That's interesting. I, tell me why you loved it. Will you tell me why you hated it? No way. I want you to do it first so that I could tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, no. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so, okay, here's here's how I felt about it. And I'm again, I'm curious to hear what Kara thinks, because like so much of what I think is also like in relationship to like the outsider gaze. Um, I felt like she was being written by someone who was not a mom. Like, the way that I saw her portrayed is the way that I viewed my mom when I was, you know, in my early 30s. Um, and I, like, projecting a lot here. But I don't know. There was, like, a simplicity to the way that she was, like, formulating conclusions that I was like, I don't know if that's true. I can't tell if that's true to, like, the character or if it's just because, you know, in the writing of it, there isn't a more complex sort of, like, terrain for her experience. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that for me, the way that, like, that math, that math doesn't work out for me. That math doesn't work out for me that she's like, does anybody like me? Do I have any friends? Does my husband find me sexually attractive? And then she decides to drive a lift. And then she decides, like, what's her earlier life experience? 
Like Master of None delved into their parents' lives prior to their children, you know? And I felt like that opened up the frame in such a gorgeous way so that these parent narratives were richer. Um, And you saw their youth, you know what I mean? And how that informed on them versus just their existence within that household. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I like I don't think you're wrong in that. I don't think that takes away from the depth of the episode for me. Hmm. Um I feel like I have seen this woman and like I've met her like in women in my life hmm. in as in in this experience of like I don't like there is I think the previous generation or like our parents generation especially when coming from sort of global south or like not Western cultures is very much like you get married and have babies and like whether they're arranged marriages or not the the courting process at that time was like you don't date someone like proposes to you and you get married kind of thing and Mm -hmm. then you have these kids and that's your entire identity Mm -hmm. and so when you get older and your kids are about to leave the house or they don't need to be cared for anymore I think there's this big sense of well, who the fuck am I? And Mm. what have I been doing with my life? And I kind of hate my husband. And (laughs) like, my kids treat me like shit or aren't around or whatever. And so I like, I thought that I thought it was very humanizing in her being like, nobody likes me on Facebook, because I haven't spent any time building these relationships, because I've just been focusing on like feeding my husband and raising my kids. And like, I'm not an interesting person. Uh, because I don't have anything to offer anymore. Mm-hmm. And that like that deep existential identity crisis. And like, so then she's like, I'm going to drive a lift, which I think is fucking hilarious. Yeah, that like, was awesome. I like, I hope she keeps driving the lift. Right. Like I felt like, I feel like in general, I was for most of the episodes really pleased. Like I thought the writing was really strong, whether I liked like what was happening or not. I thought that the way that they are conceptualizing stories and comedy within those stories and wrapping them up was really strong for me. So in this one, like there's so many little details, like the guy who she meets in the car. So her being like, I'm going to feed people is just so like, y- yes. Like my mom would totally fucking do that. A hundred percent. Right. And then she meets this French guy who is the most French. His whole like, I'm drunk and talking about cats watching me. Like I was like, that is so fucking French. Um And then her, like, getting her hopes up in this way that you're like, oh, my God, what is happening right now? Like, why would you even? And the moment when his wife gets in the car and she's just, like, destroyed, Mm. even though all of it is ridiculous, it I feel like it comes from this place of desperation. And so then her husband finally is like, oh, when you speak French, that's really sexy. And, mm-hmm. like, they, she finally gets that thing from him, mm-hmm. and they have this moment, mm-hmm. and he, it just immediately reverts back to, oh, like, I'm literally yeah, watching you're TV. you're not a person. Yeah. 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 Just somebody else who exists as furniture. And the hopelessness of that, I mm-hmm. thought, was really kind of deep. Like, it just... Yes. It cycled. She had this whole experience that nobody... That she's never going to talk about and that she has no one to confide in, and it just cycles back into, like, that's the way it's going to be. Yeah, I think I'm curious, like, as we hear more and more critiques, I think, like, if we if we watch these characters and our a lens that we're, like, filtering our critique of them through is how humanized they are, then I think we're going to lose. Like, that should be a given. You know what I mean? Like, what's, what's the critique outside of her being humanized? Because that's the job of good writing. 
the, sorry, dead air. I, you just made my brain stutter. <laughs> I, I'm trying to process this because I feel like, and Carolyn, you're welcome to jump in at any point here. It, it's there, like, I, but I like, want to hear it when without I don't that. think humanizing is a given at all in media. It's definitely not a given for marginalized identities. No, I'm saying it should be, though. It should be, but like, it's not. That's my argument. In, in, in our critique, I'm curious, outside of the expectation. I don't think it's just it to... humanizing, though. I think it's a very specific experience of isolation and loneliness and an existential dread in yes. a lot of ways that isn't just like we're humanizing her it's like a very specific moment um of this woman's life where she's trying to figure it out just like her son is trying to figure it out and i think that Beautiful. that's like pattern threaded patterns yeah and, and his sister and every like everyone is trying to figure shit out in this show that, that changes it for me that i can get behind great i just pulled that out of my ass I'm so <laughs> glad that worked <laughs> um carol yeah i mean um i don't necessarily have anything to say directly related to what the what the two of you have been talking about but i you know as i was watching the show i was a little conflicted at times about uh, on one hand really appreciating um the way that as i kind of said earlier it feels at times messy and organic mm. um in terms of uh the, the 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 plot lines and the way that things in in rami's life and the lives of people around him just happen and they all kind of intersect but also at the at the same time like there's that that feminist media critic part of my brain that's a little worried like oh is this is this going to send the wrong messages to to some people who aren't thinking critically about it so like for instance there's a moment where a character um says to Rami um he says uh we protect women not because we don't trust women we protect women because we don't trust men and like i fully believe that that character would believe that and would say that but it's also like a really messed up like attitude um, in terms of not, you know, it's a very kind of patronizing. Yeah. Attitude so, that the, actually re- so the you're talking about the uncle, right? Yes, it was. The yeah, uncle. he was. Yes. He got into he was defending that woman who was being beat up on the street, which were all like, oh, oh what the fuck? And he yeah. and Rami's like, you're a misogynist piece of shit. Why did you even interfere in that? And he was like, we don't trust men. Like we, it's not that we don't trust women; it's that we don't trust men, and it was so jarring coming from him. And like, one, it's a it's a fucked up statement in some ways, but it's also like that that whole scene and that whole character, but like specifically that scene, didn't land for me. I was like, you're trying to make something complex out of a space that's not this isn't working like, very well. Yeah, I was very torn about that and other moments like it. Like, there's a moment where uh, one of Rami's kind of ridiculous friends says it's rapey not to send a dick pic like he's saying you have to send a dick pic like as a uh preemptive thing so that she can like prepare herself or whatever like i I forget what what the reasoning was (laughs) it was it's fucked up so like that's the thing about that character his friend mo um mo yeah he like he is played by mo Amer, great comedian yes um he is a total piece of shit and he's like that foil <laughs> character that yeah. you always have in shows like this. And the thing is that bothered me is that I think a lot of that banter was was funny and smart and I'm saying that with air quotes because it was still fucked up. Yeah. Right? And I mm-hmm. and it was but it was it was intellectually fucked up in mm-hmm. this way that I was like, "Oh, like it's is it obvious to everyone that the joke about like it's actually like anti-rape to send dick pics? Like, does everyone get that that's right. not true and that like, it's a funny joke? There's I don't a know. lot. Yeah, there's a lot of unchecked patriarchy and unchecked toxic masculinity 
Like, for example, that scene with the domestic abuse, she gets back in the car with him and they just move on. And there's no, like, you know, um, service done to what's the larger discourse around how those engagements go. We have that. You know what I mean? And I feel like if you're going to do the job of, like, being the liberal show and being that guy that's, like, representing, you know, the the young kid who's trying to figure out his faith, patriarchy, what it means to be a good partner, then you need to do that work, too. It can't just be, like, within your field of vision. So. Yeah. And so I was repeatedly conflicted about stuff like that as I was watching the show, because on one hand, as a viewer, as a, you know, on some level, like, I feel like, well, I want media that I don't want media that like takes a moment and then like it it, it very much kind of lampshades it and is like, here's the moral, you know, everybody. That's what I mean. That's exactly what I mean is like, if you're going to do teaching moments, then you have to do it correctly. Otherwise, don't do the teaching moment. Yeah, I mean, yes. I, I'm. Is that what you mean, or am I like, am I imposing my takeaway? No, on you? no, not at all. Like, I'm, I'm constantly in a state of conflict about about exactly that. Like, as a as a critic mm. and a viewer, like, I, you know, I want art that reflects the kind of messiness of life. I don't want it to. To I feel like there are absolutely ways to communicate values and ideas to an audience in 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 ways that are smart and nuanced and complex. And I want that. And I'm like, and I, but I don't want necessarily, I don't want it to be simplified and, you know, neon sign flashing. But I, I, I was constantly wondering, like, you know, well, I, because I bring my own values to this show, like I'm, I'm encouraged to give it the benefit of the doubt and say X, Y, and Z. Well, it's, it's, a, it's of course trying to offer a critique of such and such attitude. It's not actually, but like, is it actually doing that? And, you know, I guess I would sometimes have to say that, no, it's not actually creating the critique. It's just kind of, it's Mm -hmm. doing the thing that brings us up to the point of the critique and then not really following through. Yeah. This like leads to another um, issue for me that like, I don't know, maybe when we're like closer to like wrapping on the larger, like uh, takeaway of the show I'll bring in because is we, now? We're now? Now? Oh, yeah. okay. We're wrapping now? Okay. Uh, so, okay. So here's what. Here's a couple of things that bother me. Um, and, I mean, I, it feels necessary to first, like, put out there. Like, here are things that I love. I love that uh, Rami Youssef is doing this uh, way before me. <laughs> like, being the first, and I know we hate that word, the first, but, like, being that person who's straight out the gate in the public sphere, in the in the larger uh, Muslim landscape, right? Like playing to the conservatives, playing to the liberals, playing to the radicals. Like that's hard. That's hard. Uh, and props to him for doing that because it is doing the job of like creating conversations like the one that we're having right now. And it does do that job. And I love it for that. Um, and if I had a time machine, I still would want to see it like this. That said, there's that, right? Second, he's my friend. I adore him. Next, I will say the stuff that like is like, no, no, you can't do this for me is one. I don't want to see written by directed by starring in. I don't want to see that anymore. After Beyonce's homecoming, (laughs) I want to see your ensemble. I want to hear loudly your consulting body. There was a giant consulting body working with him like 
all those people need to be credited. All those people need to be on the stage with you. All those people need to be in the limelight with you. Like bring them with you. To me, to emulate a Louis C.K. credit, you know, the credits rolling looks like Louis C.K.'s show. And in Q&As, I've heard him reference that intentionally. Don't do that, Rami. Don't do that. I don't want to see that anymore. That's patriarchy. I don't want to see one more person inhabit patriarchy in a creative space. No, thanks. Three, in terms of like the feminist bent, like it speaks volumes to me that like, you know, uh, a lot of my feminist friends really dig it. None of them wear hijab, you know? And so like I see a whole um, experience erased from the show that very much emulates a lot of his struggles in terms of like, how do I be a quote unquote, good, observant, traditional practicing Muslim? There are so many women who wear hijab, who share that exact same experience and have all those same challenges, who are not in the car being like, finger fuck me and choke me (laughs) because I'm so liberated. Yeah, there is. You know what I mean? There's something else. There's a, there's there's other women there that I don't like seeing your race. And I and I hear not connecting with the show in a show where the job is to, like, you know, connect with folks who are trying to love their faith and, you know, practice their faith and are having that struggle. It should connect with them. Um, so I didn't love that. Those are things I didn't love. I also it's not OK for me to have Osama there spouting stuff that activists are trying to get across in a very intentional and meaningful way, you now have their words associated with Osama bin Laden. And I don't care what you're trying to do. If one of those things is to create conversation with Osama, guess what? Muslims don't need that. He's been (laughs) the cause of conversation for a lot of years. Like, you got to be careful with the boogeyman. That's not cool to me. Sure. Let's talk more in the bonus uh, about some of these things. So I think you bring up a lot of good points. One do, one thing I do want to say in the main, though, because we didn't get to it, is that I think that um, we so hardly see representations of disability in such humanizing, genuine, sincere ways uh, played by people with disabilities. And so I just wanted to – we can get into how that representation worked out, but like that I felt like this character being Steve – being just like his yes. friend that he hangs out with is and in real life as well great they have been friends since third grade well great and i i think that that there's anyways we talk we've yes great we will talk more about all of these things in the bonus so uh if you want to hear that just go to patreon.com slash femfreak and you know hit that hit that become a patron button i don't know what that button actually says <laughs> but you know what i mean patreon.com slash femfreak all right, we are going to race through our freakouts this week. I believe, I might be wrong in this, but I believe mm. that when I am gone, the children mm. rename this segment. So we are back to- I can to... neither confirm nor deny that, <laughs> that suspicion. We are officially returning to- What's your freakout? <laughs> Carolyn, you want to get us started? Yeah, this is, you know, it's a quick one. I'll do a quick one uh, this week. Um, So uh, Killing Eve is back on the air. Um, Yay! And, you know, this was a show that last year 
it um it took me a little while to really get into it. You know, the I watched the first few episodes and it you know I was like it's it's interesting. You know, I'm it's interesting, but it it didn't fully grab me. And then I went, I finally went on a few more episodes, and then I was like, okay, now I'm hooked. And um, uh, so there's uh, I've only seen the first two episodes of the second season so far because they're being released one a week. But you know already, God, who releases that things one a week? Anymore? I know, so annoying. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Sandra O, oh, you know already like just in the because um, you know without spoiling anything, the the ending of season one is quite the emotional and you know physical um uh. Event like it's very intense. It's extremely intense, and to see um, Sandra O oh as her character Eve Palastri kind of um, in the first episode, like reeling from that and coping with that in all these uh, what you know wonderful, believable ways. She you know buys like a huge bag of candy at um, a candy shop at, at I don't know at an airport or train station or something, and just sits there like just you know, eating the candy kind of in her own little world. Um, and other things happen too. Like I'm, uh, it's just, again, it's such a pleasure to watch Sandra O oh as an actor for me. I just think she's, I've, I've loved her for so long. Like, yes. um, and I can't wait the, to watch the fact that she movie. now has finally has like a role that is worthy of her after really doing supporting great supporting work in all these, uh, mm-hmm. movies and, and TV shows and things like I, just couldn't be more thrilled. And um, uh, yeah, so, you know, if you're if you're not yet on the Killing Eve train, I, I highly recommend um, hopping aboard the Killing Eve train because it is... I love being on killing trains. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a wonderful uh, heart. It, it really is. I second yeah. this freak out. I, yeah. The first season's fucking amazing. It's yeah. so good. All right, Zara, you got a freak out for us? I do. Okay, so I was just in Toronto performing my I'm comedy sorry. special. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Toronto? You hate Toronto? Oh, interesting. I'm from there. I'm allowed to say that. You're from Toronto? I didn't know that. I am. Go Canadians. What are we, Maple Leafs? I don't know. I always forget you're Canadian. Oh, my God. Um, It changes the way you see me, isn't it? A life jacket to your boat on the way out of the collapse of this country. (laughs) I have no idea what that is, but that's fine. I guess it doesn't – it's not really a boat, but uh, (laughs) – So I was just in Toronto for my comedy special on behalf of all Muslims, a comedy special. Uh, This, you know, where I engage with this phrase uh, and this challenge where you're always speaking on behalf of all Muslims, no matter what. Kind of like we were just talking about. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, is your freak out your comedy special? No, no. It should totally be. Oh, how would it be, though? I don't know. Uh I just think it's funny. I'm going to talk with you more as my marketing guru. (laughs) I just appropriated the word guru. No, cut that, Phil. All right. <laughs> um, I was in Toronto. I was doing stand-up. <laughs> and then I brought up this thing that I found, like, in comedy when you're doing it, right, like, you bring up a quirk of the local scene. They have milk in a bag. Yes, we do. You have milk in a bag. We do. And you have to have the little cutter that you have to have on your yes. fridge to open the milk and the container to put it in. Yes. It's stupid. They have no sense of humor about that. Really? They were so defensive. Huh? That's so funny. Canadians are dumb. And I would not let it go. Jeez. (laughs) I don't know who you're saying jeez to, Carolyn. You know, maybe just 
Maybe you don't want to paint a whole nation of people with that brush. I don't know. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't understand. How does it, how does the transport work? Is it like a Capri Sun? Do you stab it? Okay. Would you like me to tell you? Or did you Well, learn? I want to tell you how oh. it got, how it went down. Please. I did like, I did all this physical comedy of myself as milk in a bag. <laughs> Why didn't you invite me? Right? To figure out, like, how does this occur? How do I go from the grocery store to your jug? You have a glass jug in the refrigerator, I found out. And then, glass? Jesus. Yeah. That's and then, the, toity shit. Right? And then they showed me how, like, I have to, like, slit the tip and then sort of duck in, in within the jug and you pull it out, kind of like how you take your bra off underneath your shirt. Right. Who the fuck taught you this? <laughs> the whole audience, like a hundred people, were wow. like participating and they were so invested in my getting this right. Wow. And it was really a beautiful thing. We came together on it and I understood why it was important to them. I actually don't know. I posted on my Facebook, Milk in a bag in Toronto, WTF. All these people started posting. Well, it's how we do it in Australia. Well, it's how we do it in Iran. Well, it's how we do it in Afghanistan. Well, it's how we do it. And like all these different countries. Like that where people where folks were from and then somebody in Michigan and the city in Michigan who was like, this is how I did it. Here's my question. Is it actually so milk in the U.S. is in a jug? Yes. Uh, but like a plastic bag is less material. So is it less pollutive in the grand scheme of pollution? I looked it up. Technically, no, because it actually takes three bags to protect the milk in a bag. And uh, it actually creates more plastic. Because instead of it going straight into a carton, it's now being put in plastic bags. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm assuming it's the same way as when I grew up. Is you go to the store and you buy milk. Yeah. And there is one bag that holds three little bags. Yes. That contain the milk. Yes. And at home, you have a what looks like a pitcher. Uh-huh. And you stick one of the jugs, yes. one of the bags into the pitcher. Yes. And then you have the little thing on the fridge and you slit it off and then you pour. Yeah. That's... I don't know about this wiggling bra thing that happens. It's very straightforward. But um, <laughs> nobody pours, just you. They found pouring very inefficient, this crowd. So, what do they do? The, it's like taking your bra off and you're under okay, your whatever. Shirt. I don't know what's happened to Canada since I left it, <laughs> <laughs> but it's clearly gone downhill. Um, great. That was my freak out. Thank you. Milk in a bag. Milk in a bag. It's definitely something to freak out about. Do you still do it? No, I don't drink milk. Is there so. a part of you that's like, I can't have the milk if I don't pour it in a Ziploc and recreate the experience? There is literally no part of me that feels that way. None at all? Not even a smidge. There was a part of me that did miss the fact that like, you know, tits are basically milk in a bag. They are. And I kind of so like the bra analogy. I like that. Yeah, I like that. That I don't know. It just made me feel closer to Canada. Yeah. And also like tits. Yeah. Mm. I could see how you got there. What's your freak out? My freak out is um other friend of the podcast, Open Mike Eagle, just uh launched a new show. I don't know, he launched a show, whatever. He has a new show on Comedy Central called The New Negroes. He is hosting it with comedian Baron Vaughn. And Yes. Um, I'm just going to read the description on the website so that we can get through this fast because we're way over time. <laughs> the New Negroes with Baron Vaughn and Open Mike Eagle is a socially aware stand-up and music series. Vaughn and Eagle took inspiration for the series and title from the term New Negro as popularized during the Harlem Renaissance. And it refers to black Americans speaking up, telling their own stories and affirming their various identities to dismantle outdated assumptions and beliefs. Uh, it's a bunch of 
wonderful black comedians doing wonderful black comedy. I guess it's not black. I mean, it is, but it's just comedy. That's good. And then there's like musical videos and stuff like that. So go check it out. Um, It's airing every Friday at 11, I believe, 11 p.m., whatever. Yeah. Check it out on Comedy Central. Support. Complicate. The genre. I love it. All right, y'all, we are way over, and our producer, Phil, is um, probably having steam come out of his ears as we speak. So let's be done with it, but not forever, because we are here every single Wednesday. If you stay tuned for the Freakin' After Party, which is only available to backers of this podcast, we're going to be talking a little bit more with Zara, maybe a little bit more about Romy. Or Game of Thrones. No. Oh. I refuse. (laughs) Good. No, maybe we'll talk about Game of Thrones. You should become a backer to find out. Patreon.com slash Freak. You like that? Yeah. I should totally go into marketing. All right. If you're enjoying this show, please rate and review us on iTunes. And when you are hanging out in the mosque, washing your feet, tell your friends that you have this cool podcast that they should listen to. Feminist Frequency Radio. You can check out all of our work and our other podcasts at Feminist Fre- Oh, the joke would have been better if I said between your toes because that was the whole point, the joke and the show. God damn it. I should never be a comedian. Between, I, you had me. Yeah, all right. You can check out all of our work and our other <laughs> podcasts at feministfrequency.com and be sure to follow us on Twitter at FemFreak to stay up to date on all of the news. Sara, where can people find you? You mean when I'm not PMSing? I mean, are you ever not? I'm also PMSing. We're synced. High five sound effect. You probably can't hear that. It wasn't very loud. Uh, at Zara Comedy. <laughs> at Zara Comedy <laughs> on Instagram. Uh, at Zara Comedy on Twitter. Or my website, ZaraComedian.com. Um, also, your podcast. Good Muslim, Bad Muslim. Check it out. We have a new episode dropping in a week. Excellent. A couple days. Yeah. Carolyn. Yo, I'm at We're- Carolyn Michelle. I am at Anita Sarkeesian. I think Phil wanted me to pretend to be Ebony and say that I was at Homemade Tortillas since I made Homemade Tortillas this morning. So either way, uh, that person we keep referring to, Phil Circus, is our wonderful producer who also composed our theme music, technical support by Sarah Norales, production assistance by Taylor Simmons, art by Jamie Varon. We'll see you next week. Later. Bye.